Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm very, very pleased to have uh, today's episode because these are the ones that are actually some of the most meaningful that I've ever had. And this is where we have our patient perspective series. And specifically today, we are going to talk um, to Brittany Ferguson, who was my patient. And I had the wonderful opportunity to care for her and uh, get to know her family. And we're going to talk a little bit about something that is scary and something that shouldn't happen in young people. And that's young onset colorectal cancer. So Brittany, welcome to Butts and Guts. Thank you so much. Well, first of all, let me just uh, absolutely thank you for having the opportunity to come on and kind of talk to our listeners out there and, and, and get a little bit of an overview about uh, that. So if you would just tell uh, a little bit about yourself, where you're from and kind of what you do and a little bit about your family. And, and then I'll, we'll go into a little bit more later about the specifics about what led you into kind of discovery of, uh, of rectal cancer. Okay. I am uh, 37 and I live around Howard, Ohio, and I'm the mother to two beautiful daughters and I'm fortunate enough to be able to stay home with them. And we do the whole shebang. We homeschool and spend a lot of time together. So very family oriented, wonderful husband and close knit family. So very blessed and very fortunate. Yeah, I can attest to the fact that you do have a wonderful family. And today, just for our listeners, I want to give you a little bit of background because we're talking about young onset colorectal cancer. And so when we talk about this, we know that colorectal cancer every year is about the second or more commonly lately, the third leading cause of cancer-related death in the United States every year alone. And interestingly, throughout uh, the years, and probably more specifically with the rise and and having people undergo listening to their bodies and undergo screening colonoscopies. Uh, It's been something that has been on the fall in most of the age groups, except for one. And that's the young population, which we consider less than 50 and more concerning. We're seeing even younger and younger. And for all the listeners out there, it's important to understand that what we're not talking about here is we're not talking about those who have necessarily a genetic or familial trait that would lead to a much more predominant colorectal cancer. So this is just this is just run-of-the-mill colorectal cancer being more common in that. And this increase in incidence rates has been something that's been a little bit perplexing because like most things, we don't know exactly the causes of cancer. We know there's some genetic component to it, some environmental component, some exposure component to it a little bit of a lot of things. And so when we talk about what is causing this, for example, we don't have a great answer. And so we're trying to combat that. And that's what's led us to change overall the new screening guidelines. And I encourage all of our listeners out there, we have a couple of different episodes talking about these screening guidelines as we drop the national screening recommendation for asymptomatic people down to age 45. And please see some of the past butts and guts episodes on this. So Brittany, tell a little bit about yourself. So you're in your thirties and, you know, life is good. You got a great family, you got two wonderful, beautiful daughters. And what were you experiencing? What was it that you had symptoms of that you were like, what's going on? Well, I, I truly don't know what specifically was linked to the cancer. So my first daughter was born a little over nine years before my diagnosis of cancer. But leading up to that, I had bright red blood and mucus in in my stools Sometimes I would only have blood and mucus and I was checked for external hemorrhoids before my diagnosis several years prior to that. And they didn't find anything. 
And then later on, I experienced frequency and urgency to have bowel movements. I had stomach aches. And those bathroom changes just continued to fluctuate with the urgency increasing. I tried to check out my diet, see if maybe there was something triggering those problems. Nothing really was consistent enough to show any dietary factors. Approximately two years before my diagnosis, I had a prior illness and I had received a referral to go see a gastrologist, but I didn't follow through. Probably not wise on my part, but I do believe everything has happened the way that it has for a reason. The real turning point, though, was I began to have chest tightness that was associated with pain and discomfort that would wrap around to my back. I would have dizziness. I had discomfort between my shoulder blades, and it was difficult to take in deep breaths. I had an emergency room visit, which kind of spiraled everything and got that started. And I met with a cardiologist. I had stress testing done, an EKG, but everything with my heart looked good. So then when I met with my primary care physician, Once she realized we had ruled out heart and diet, she wanted to send me to a gastrologist. So I did some research because I wanted to make sure I had a gastrologist that was in good standing, had good reviews, was a good listener, a caring disposition, and it came highly recommended. And so by doing my own research, then I got connected with a good gastrologist. Yeah. So that had to be, um, had to be in a way a relief that you knew your heart was okay, but still a little bit concerning the fact that why am I got bleeding and what is going on with this? Yeah. So, so you met Dr. Helenga and, uh, and tell a little bit about your experience and, and what you went through and then what they find and what were your emotions at the time of when they found? Okay. So when I spoke with Dr. Helenga the first time, she really impressed me because she, she didn't allow us to do a whole lot of exploration in the sense that she didn't make me go through things I had already ruled out, such as diet. She spoke with me, listened to me very intently, and through just her experience and expertise, decided that we should go straight for the colonoscopy. I don't know that she expected to find anything. She was very positive and upbeat at the initial consultation. And then even once I had the colonoscopy, very positive. They did go in and wound up finding, was it a three centimeter polyp? Yep. So they found the three centimeter polyp and she tried to reassure me not to be too concerned and was very, very encouraging. And then called me less than a week later to let me know that it was in fact cancer. So she said she wanted to be as aggressive as possible. And that's kind of what led me to further treatment. And of course, my initial reaction to everything was, first of all, I was shocked. (laughs) I expected something wasn't right, but I didn't expect cancer to come through on the other end of the line. And of course I was scared, but I did know that Regardless of what happened, I was determined to meet everything head on and with as much positivity as I could. I wanted my girls, my husband, really anybody who knew what was happening in the situation to know and to see me rely on my faith and to have a positive attitude. Because I think that so much of how well treatment can go can be dependent upon, you know, your persistence and your outlook and being positive. Absolutely to that. And there's no question. And I, I can point to many studies that that positive attitude, regardless of what disease process you're going through, will be associated with a better outcome. There's just some mind-body connection that we can't quite explain. But I can tell you that, and Lord knows the first time I saw you, uh, that, that, that resonated very much so with that. So how was your family through all this? There's no family history of any colon or rectal cancer. What, what was the thought there? We were all shocked. I mean, <laughs> my mom 
had always warned me that if there was something wrong, you know, that it could lead to bigger processes. You know, if there was a really serious problem, I could have an ileostomy, which was one of my bigger fears. But basically, everybody was just shocked that there's probably some devastation. We do have history of other cancers in our family. So we're not unfamiliar with how it can go well and also how it can go horribly wrong. So a lot of shock and surprise for sure. So I'd like to just interject here to the listeners and make sure a couple of things is that, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a family history of colorectal cancer. Obviously, if you do, it can put you at a higher risk and it can also change your screening colonoscopy needs and drop it even further. In this case, obviously, what we would classify this as a diagnostic colonoscopy because this is something that uh, uh, that you're having symptoms on and we don't want to ignore our body, even if you're young. We want to make sure, and we've heard this time and time again about how something can come up, something that can be completely treatable and benign, can be treatable and, and have more devastating consequences. And so we want to make sure that we listen to our bodies, we get that explored and and to understand your history and understand what's going on with your body. So you, you get the news, you go through with your family, you're going to fight it head on. And, and how did it come to the point that you decided to come on up here to Cleveland? Well, I fully believe that God hand led me through this health journey. And it started off with getting connected with Dr. Halinga with the Ohio Gastrology Group. She just immediately was compassionate and encouraging, but also very straightforward that, you know, we needed to do something. And it was kind of in the height of COVID, but even though that was happening, I knew that I kind of didn't have a choice. My choice was either deal with it, you know, or let the fear of COVID and whatever else may lie ahead determine what happens. And I didn't want to do that. So she was an associate with you and a professional standing And she wanted to provide me with the most aggressive approach and you came super highly recommended. So she gave me a personal and direct referral to you, which I'll forever be grateful for. Well, we sure were glad to get you up here. And so for all the listeners, uh, so we had went through a lot of the treatment options. I think it's important to understand that there's a lot of different types of cancers out there. When we talk about rectal cancer and we've had other episodes on rectal cancer, but remember certain rectal cancers, depending on the stage and getting MRIs and CT scans and endoscopy to figure out exactly where it is and different tumors may require chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Other tumors might require surgery up front, followed by chemotherapy. Other ones might need chemotherapy and then chemoradiation therapy. And other ones might need chemoradiation therapy and then chemotherapy and then surgery. And some people may not need surgery alone. So it really is that process of uh, individualizing the therapy for that particular patient, for that particular tumor, including how high the tumor is in the rectum to make sure that we can get great margins around it if there's surgery or does it respond to chemoradiation therapy if it's one that qualifies for. So it's imperative to understand if you're listening to this and you've been recently diagnosed or if you're have a family member that has, or you're even wondering exactly how do we deal with rectal cancer that there the principles are all there, but there is some variation depending on the degree of which the tumor is either spread or not spread, the degree of which it is still there invaded locally or spread to the lymph nodes into how we access them. So in this particular instance, you know, the upfront uh, radiation therapy wasn't a process and we had a, we had a big process to go to. Would this be something that 
you know, on some of the imaging are, you know, many of the imaging, uh, you can tell if the, the tumor has spread to the lymph nodes or not. And other ones you can't really see because there's a certain percentage of patients that may have microscopic disease only in the lymph nodes that may not be to the point where the lymph nodes have quite yet changed. And so in Brittany's case, we were able to get the staging and couldn't really see much for residual tumor and couldn't really see any particular lymph nodes that were there. And so we came up with a long thought out process to say, how do we want to proceed from here? Do we want to be aggressive and take that rectum out, which can be a a major surgery. And like you said, have some complications that could come up with it, or do we want to follow you and do this? Or do we want to maybe go outside the box and talk about chemotherapy? So walk us through your decision uh, making process about how you and your family decided to ultimately proceed with treatment. You were very upfront direct and informative of what our choices were. You know, you talked about how we could monitor things, but take no immediate action, do a small resection of the area where their cancer was found, or the larger surgery, the low anterior resection with a placement of the temporary ileostomy, where you could get more lymph nodes. And depending upon that, you know, whether or not we did radiation or chemo. So I know you were on board for option three, because you like to be more proactive and cautious in terms of cancer. So I appreciated that because I've never had a surgery prior to this. So any surgery, big or small, was was scary for me. Honestly, option three was my last choice at the time because it seemed very dramatic and drastic to take out a large section, get lymph nodes. That, Like I said earlier, the ileostomy was the last thing I wanted to have. But we ended up speaking with a family friend who's an oncologist, and he actually helped us to realize that the larger, more aggressive surgery, based on my understanding, was actually the standard method of treating colorectal cancer. And it's also been around the longest. So knowing that gave me comfort because obviously I would imagine the success rates, you know, are better and it's a less risky surgery, even though it's the more aggressive surgery. So in the end, we wound up going with the low anterior resection with the temporary ileostomy in hopes of having the best chance of finding any lingering cancer and praise the Lord. You did and you found it and that led us, led us on to, you know, chemo and everything that happened afterwards. Yeah. So that's, uh, again, going back to a very difficult decision-making and I'm sure on the I can still remember on the morning of surgery when, you know, you're, you're hopeful and positive, but there's still that, oh my God, I'm going in for surgery type feeling (laughs) for surgery. And I can't believe I'm here. And are we doing the right decision? And are we doing all that? And it's just that, that trust and fear and angst and to get it over with and all those different emotions. And, and then you woke up from surgery and then, yeah, sense of relief or uh, just, you know, the first day of the battle of getting through. And can you talk a little bit about here you are and you're in your mid thirties and you got two kids at home and all of a sudden now you have to deal with regardless of not, if it is a temporary ileostomy or not. And for those of the listeners out there an ileostomy is again, when we bring the loop of small intestine called the ileum up, up to the skin and you have to wear a bag. Most people know it as a bag or a stoma and colostomy is when we bring up the colon. In her case, we were able to reconnect her colon to her residual rectum and then just temporarily divert the stool away with an ileostomy while that other one heals in. But what was that like? How, what were your emotions and going through there and how did you cope with that? I wasn't sure. So for me, I was, I honestly was totally freaked out because I'm a very private person. And now this very private part of my body 
and this normal function that typically happens in a private way was very much public. I mean, it's the system itself has come a long way as far as the devices that you use. And so that was better, but still not super discreet, you know, so that was tough. And I wasn't sure how my girls would handle it, but they wound up being rock stars. They named it, you know, and asked questions. And I think that just having an open dialogue with them helped. It helped me. They normalized it for me. And I didn't feel so self-conscious then. But it was it was a definite mental battle in terms of that because it's always present. I mean, whether you have your shirt down, you can still see it. Whether you're, you know, changing it or whatever you have to do to maintain it. So it's kind of always a little bit of a reminder of what you're going through, what you've gone through and what lies ahead, but I wouldn't change it. I'm grateful for the process that I went through and where it's led me to today. And as she alluded to, we, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to describe in these particular cases, which is always the trick with cancer, uh, found residual cancer there and, uh, and then ultimately took you to your next steps. And can you walk people through the next steps of your treatment phase? So I was given two different types of options for chemo. I could do a more aggressive, shorter term treatment phase with chemotherapy, where it was over a period of three months, but with four cycles, or I could do a longer session, a little less harsh on the body, but over a six month period of time. And while I wasn't in denial of what was happening, I didn't want it to last any longer than it had to. So we decided that the more aggressive shorter time frame would be best for our family. And so I began chemotherapy in January and my first two sessions were pretty rough. The side effects from it, I was pretty nauseated. I had cold sensations where my fingertips would tingle and hurt if I touched cold objects and it was in winter. So <laughs> the air itself um, actually sent me to the emergency room because I had a reaction where I felt like I couldn't breathe. And they weren't sure if it was due to the cold air or an allergic reaction to the chemo, but my team was amazing. I went through the Cleveland clinic for my oncology as well. They listened to me very well. They heard what I was saying, made adjustments to my treatments. And my last two treatments went really, really well. I do still have lingering effects from it. I still have neuropathy and my mental clarity and sharpness is still building, but you know, I wouldn't volunteer to go through it, of course, but it went so much better than I anticipated that it would. You got through and you were a trooper and your family was there alongside of the way. And then it ultimately came time that you got to get rid of. And I, I don't remember what name did you name your ileostomy there where you got, got a chance to get rid of it? The name of my ileostomy, which is very appropriate, I think, is Tutti Frutti. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. So what was it like to then finally go through that next surgery? Was it, it go, go okay? Were you finally like, I'm, I'm through it? And how are you doing now? Honestly, I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm still processing that we even went through what we did. A little bit of it felt like an out-of-body experience. I remember like that initial call with Dr. Halinga. I felt like I was watching somebody else's life through the process. Same thing. Now that we're through it, it really doesn't feel like it happened. And I think it's because things have gone so well post-treatment, post-surgery, so much better than I, I ever anticipated. So getting back to the normal 
way of life has come so much quicker that it just almost seems like it didn't happen. I do still have some restrictions in terms of like, I can't lift my kids yet. That's been one of the harder parts for me and the girls. We're a very close knit family. It's just me and the girls in terms of we have no boys or anything like that. So we're very, very close. So not being able to pick them up has been tough. I do still have some healing internally where the ileostomy was, but I really think that's probably just things working itself out, rehealing, you know, from the surgery, but all in all, it was way better than I anticipated. You know, I had read, which is a dangerous thing, but I had read leading up to it a little bit of what to expect post-reversal. And I can honestly say that it was just so much better than even what the most positive stories shared on the websites. I haven't had any control issues. I've been able to be able to maintain some normalcy, go out and about and do things. And it hasn't limited me beyond anything I wasn't already experiencing. That's fantastic. And so what tips do you have for others who are either just getting diagnosed or who are getting treated for colorectal cancer for all of our listeners out there? Well, I have several. (laughs) Um, First of all, I think that no matter where you are in in the process, you should be proactive in doing your own research. Obviously, the medical team with with Cleveland Clinic was amazing. Uh, Dr. Holinga, she was amazing. But don't be afraid to do your own research. But also don't focus on the worst or the best case scenarios. Kind of prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. Also, I think it's important that you would allow yourself to feel your true emotions, but to choose that positivity over any fear or anger or sadness that you may have. Watching my husband and my mom go through this journey with me. My mom took time off to help take care of me and my family during this time. And just watching what the two of them went through. It's important you give yourself and also the people around you grace because everybody handles it differently, but it definitely affects everybody. I think it's important too to find a positive outlet. Mine was my faith, my family, and especially my girls. Find good caregivers. That's super important. Somebody who can be positive and encouraging, but yet also allow you to feel the rawness that you feel at the time with your emotions. Some days you'll be positive. Other days you just want to talk about how terrible things might be at the time, but just find good support people. And with COVID, we were really limited to too much outside interaction, but my family, like my dad, my sister, different friends, and a lot of different churches were amazing at seeing us through. Also, I would say ask questions and be clear about how you're feeling with your healthcare team. I don't think there's anything too big or too small to share with your team to make sure that they can give you the best tailored care to your situation. And then finally, I just want to share the the title of a book that I held to because it's so true, but the title of it is from Christian author Joyce Meyer, and it's Do It Afraid, Embracing Courage in the Face of Fear. So even though I was afraid, I knew that I didn't have a choice but to move forward. And even though you're scared, you just got to keep moving. Well, those are fantastic words of wisdom. And I can, I guess my take home message is if you, if you go through anything, I, for our listeners out there, I would say that number one, the importance of listening to your body and not ignoring symptoms. So many people out there, they experience rectal bleeding or something changes in their stool and they fear, well, it might be bad. So I'm just going to ignore it and just see what it is. But you can get to this, get it early, get it taken care of and get it cured and be able to go from there. So never, you know, never 
be afraid of bringing something up to your primary care doc or to a gastrologist, or if you're not getting the answers, I would echo just what she said to make sure you get the answers that you would need. So critically important. And uh, because you got to understand that as you go through this, there may be some unexpected findings and there may be some unexpected results. And by staying on top of that and going along a uh, treatment pathway, you can come out the other side, even in places where you are scared and you don't think you have the strength to it. And, and again, the other thing that I don't think our listeners can see, this is only a, uh, a audio podcast, but I, you know, there's very, as you know, we're humans in addition to doctors, and there's also patients that, you know, touch in different ways. And Brittany and your whole family were fantastic, making us and our team bracelets and just all the special touches. So I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to take part in a very small way in your care. And I'm so glad that you're doing better. And I think the other aspect is, is that when you go through things like this, understand that it is, you know, another thing that we talked about is making sure you don't have a familial type of a genetic predisposition and get tested for that to make sure, because in this case with the two girls and, you know, and not only if you don't have it, they still want to get screened early. So understand that it can affect more than just you. And so uh, we always, Brittany, like to wind up with a couple of quick hitters uh, okay. with all our guests to get to know you a little bit better. So number one, what's your favorite food? Oh man, I love steak. It's Fantastic. one of my favorite foods. <laughs> so steak eaters, I have to ask this. Are you uh, plain uh, A1 sauce, Heinz 57, just uh, salt and pepper, vinegar? What, what, what's, the, what's the topping of choice there on a steak? Oh, it's definitely all about the seasoning. I would say grilled with salt and pepper is probably the best. But Very, very good. Very good. What uh, is, uh, if we were to turn on your, your iPhone and go to your iTunes or uh, if you're an Android user, what's on the playlist there? Oh, I'm a country girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always into the Judds. They're a bit of a probably classic country, mm-hmm. but they're definitely on the top of my list. And what is your favorite sport to either watch and or play? Volleyball. Definitely volleyball. Still love it to this day. That's fantastic. What's your Netflix or your one of any one of these other uh, type of uh, recommendations for people that are out there during this these times? Well, I'm currently on a series called Heartland. It's um, about a family that's very based around horses. Horses are another big passion of mine, though I unfortunately don't own any. And also a series called McLeod's Daughters. It was fantastic. Definitely helped me in those times where you couldn't really do too much to go out and about, but took your mind off of where you were. Fantastic. I'll have to look for both of those. And then finally, I normally ask people what they like about Cleveland, but I will ask you, tell us a little bit about what you like about your hometown. In major contrast to Cleveland, I'm out in the country. So we have a lot of tractor traffic, Amish traffic, familiar passersby. So I like the close-knit community and kind of knowing who's coming and going and just the familiar faces you can see. We have a wraparound porch on our house. So it lends itself really well to being able to enjoy it, despite whatever the weather might be. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And, and so great to have you on. So to learn more about colorectal cancer or to schedule a colonoscopy, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash colonoscopy. That's clevelandclinic.org slash colonoscopy. And to speak with a specialist in the Cleveland Clinic's Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute, please call 216 216- That's 216-444-7000. And finally, please remember, it's important for you and your family to continue to receive medical care and to stay up to date on your health screenings. And rest assured here at the Cleveland Clinic, 
We're taking all necessary precautions to sterilize our facilities and protect our patients and caregivers. Brittany, thank you so much for joining us. And more importantly, thank you so much for just being the person that you are, the support system that you, that you have and that you give to others. And I hope that everyone out there listening to this will be encouraged by your message. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I just really appreciate the opportunity to even give back in the slightest way, even if it helps one person. I'm thrilled and honored to have been able to be a part of that. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts. 